I have um, instructed Kelly to call people and tell them we will not be meeting for second service or for Sunday school, which means if you're here, you are welcome to stay here and hang out. I'm going to stay here and hang out, and uh, we can talk together and pray together, but we're going to cancel the Sunday school time and the second service, so just be aware of that. Um, Turn to John chapter 3. I'm going to read for us the first 16 verses. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God. No one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. How can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he can't enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and you don't understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know. We testify to what we've seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things. By the way, let's just stop there. Don't miss the fact that Jesus has just talked about being born again and about seeing and entering the kingdom of God. And here he tells Nicodemus, I'm talking to you about earthly things. I've spoken to you of earthly things. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one's ever gone into heaven except the one who came down from heaven, the Son of Man. So Nicodemus' question was, how can this be? We just had a long parenthesis. Here's the answer. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It hasn't been that long since we looked at John chapter 3. So I want to do something a little different today. I want to ask a question of the text. And then for each question we ask of the text, let's ask a question of ourselves. So let's try to understand what's going on in here, in the text. Let's also try to understand what's going on in here, in our lives. So in the text, we've just read that this man named Nicodemus comes to see Jesus. Nicodemus is something of a mid-level celebrity in ancient Israel. He's a respected scholar. He's a prominent political leader. He sits on the council. As far as we can tell, he's also a stand-up kind of guy. 
He's got money. He's got influence. He's got brains. He's a guy who's got it all together. So why is he coming to see Jesus? That's our first question for the text. Why did Nicodemus go to see Jesus? And doesn't the question reveal something about how we think? We know that the guy who's falling apart needs Jesus. We're not so sure about the guy who has it all together. The alcoholic needs Jesus, as does the cancer patient and the abuse victim. What about the successful business owner? What about the movie star and the big league politician? What about the guy who has a great marriage, good job? Do they need Jesus? Now let me ask a question of us. Do we need Jesus? I mean, do you need Jesus, or can you get by without him? Maybe for a day. When life is going smoothly, do you need Jesus? You know, our answer is, of course we do. But we really answer with our lives. If you're not going to Jesus, what do you really believe about yourself and about him? Nicodemus was a smart guy, smart enough to know that Jesus was special. He could see that, that he could learn something from Jesus, that he needed something that Jesus had to give. So let me ask a second question of the text. Why did Nicodemus go to Jesus at night? And there's a follow-up question. Why did John, who related this story, want us to know that he went at night? And tell us again, and then again. Why'd he go at night? Uh, this is the original Nick at night. You know that? Nicodemus came to him at night. The answer is, we don't know why he went at night. The answer might even be, he didn't know why he went at night. Perhaps he was too busy during the day. Or perhaps Jesus was too busy to, during the day. Or perhaps Nicodemus told himself that Jesus was too busy during the day, but the real reason was something else. Maybe he didn't want to be seen calling on this controversial young rabbi. We don't really know why he went to see Jesus at night, but that brings us to that follow-up question. Why did John tell us that he came at night? Surely he could have left that out and not missed the point of his story. Well, I can think of three reasons why John might have included the information that Nick came at night. First, and you're going to be impressed with my profound exegetical skills on this one, John might have told us this because Nicodemus really did come at night, and he wanted to just relate the story as it actually happened. Now, I think that's certainly true. He wanted to give us the story. But I don't think that's the whole of it. Nicodemus, every time John mentions him in this book, so in chapter 3, in chapter 7, in chapter 20, every time he mentions him, he makes sure he tells us that Nicodemus came at night. So he thought that was important. It might be that he wanted us to understand that, that Nick was ashamed or afraid of being seen with Jesus See, Jesus had just had, in the previous chapter, just a few verses before this, had a run-in with some powerful, prominent leaders in Jerusalem. Were it to get out that Nicodemus went to see Jesus after that, things might not have gone too well for him. But I think there's another reason that John keeps telling us, and you get that when you read the whole of John's literature. He loves the imagery of light and darkness. In the gospel alone... 
not including the letters or the revelation. John uses the words and images of darkness and light 50 times. When he tells us that Jesus came, or Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, he wants us to know that Nicodemus, the scholar, the prominent leader, was in the dark. He wasn't seeing things clearly, and he didn't even know it. Or maybe he did. He was a smart guy. So that's another question for the text. Now here's one for you. Are you in the dark about Jesus and about God and about what God wants for you? And if you are, what should you do about it? Well, when you're in the dark, the best thing to do is move toward the light. Scientists tell us that if someone were to light a candle in absolute darkness, none of us have ever seen absolute darkness, but absolute darkness, it would be possible to see that candle with the naked eye from a distance of 43 miles. If you're in the dark, but you see a light, even a little light, move toward it. Remember, Nick had seen signs. No one could do the signs that you're doing. He had seen these signs, and they'd been a light to him. And he had moved towards that light. If you're in the darkness, even if you're not sure about God and about Jesus, move in the direction of even the faintest light. There will surely be more to follow. Next question to ask the task. Why does Jesus abruptly change the subject and talk to Nick about the necessity of being born again and about the kingdom of God? So here's the picture. Nicodemus is being all suave and sophisticated. Now, that's not an act. That's who this guy has become over the years. And he says something like, you know, some of us, some of us, it kind of sounds like some of us down at the club or some of us in the department are pretty impressed with you, young man. I mean, we know that you're special. We know that God sent you. And he probably would have gone on talking like that for a while trying to get to his point. But Jesus cut him off. He cut him off faster than a BMW on an L.A. highway. Boom. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. So why does Jesus change the subject and talk about the kingdom of God? Now, I'll I'll mention this in just a moment. I don't think he changed the subject. I think that's what Nicodemus came to talk to Jesus about in the first place. Why did he bring up being born again in the kingdom of God? I think people rarely ask that question, but they feel it. And then they assume an answer. And it's the wrong answer. They feel the question. And if they had to frame the answer, it would be something like this. Jesus interrupted Nicodemus, and he changed the subject because he had important information to share with him and with us about how to get to heaven. Jesus wanted to cut to the chase and tell Nicodemus how to get to heaven. But read the passage again. Is there anything about getting into heaven in this passage? Was Jesus really talking about pulling up stakes and moving to the skies? I don't think so. We jump to that conclusion because we assume that entering the kingdom of God is synonymous with getting into heaven someday. That's the wrong conclusion to draw. 
Elsewhere, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. In fact, it's his favorite subject. He talks about the kingdom of God more often than he talks about any other single subject in the New Testament. Elsewhere, he talks about the kingdom of God, and it's abundantly clear. He's not using the term as a synonym for heaven. He says in one place, the kingdom of God has come upon you. Was he saying that the eternal dwelling of the blessed had descended upon earth? No, not at all. In other places, Jesus talked about the kingdom of God being taken from people. He wasn't talking about heaven. He told his disciples that some of them would see the kingdom of God come with power in their lifetimes. He wasn't talking about heaven then either. I don't know if there's any place in the New Testament where the words kingdom of God are strictly synonymous for heaven. Any place. But we've assumed that they are. Jesus is not telling Nick how to get to heaven when he dies, but how to enter God's kingdom while he lives. This is so important. Jesus is not giving Nick directions to a destination. He's telling him what a human needs to participate in God's rule and live under his care right now. That is to live in his kingdom. Now, does that make heaven as a destination unimportant? Of course not. Just because Jesus wasn't talking about our destination on this occasion doesn't mean that he never talked about it. He did. Or that our destination isn't important. It is. But we can't hijack a passage to make it serve our own theological interests. If we do that, we'll miss what Jesus is really saying to us. Jesus was always announcing the good news. I mean, when we talk about gospel, the gospel of Mark, for example, we think of it as the history. They didn't think of it as the history. They thought of it as the news. Here's the news of what's happened. Jesus was always announcing the good news. God's kingdom, his rule and protection is available to people now. It is delightfully possible to enter God's kingdom today and live in it with rich confidence and joy. But to do so, Jesus says, a person must be born again. So the question we ask of the text is this. Why did Jesus interrupt Nicodemus and change the subject to talk about the kingdom of God? And the answer is, first of all, he didn't change the subject. That's what Nicodemus had come to talk about. And second, because Jesus knew that it was possible for Nick and for us to live a rich, confident life under God's rule and protection, that is, in his kingdom. A different kind of life. Jesus' kind of life. Now, the question we ask of ourselves is this. Am I living that life? Am I living an ordinary life with some religious flavoring Or am I living in God's kingdom, confidently depending on God and joyfully serving his cause? Is the life I'm living right now coalescing with the life that Jesus announced is available? And if not, what am I going to do about it? Okay, that's the question for us. Now, before we go on to the next question for the text, I ought to mention that both Nicodemus and Jesus were comfortable using the language of the kingdom of God. There's a whole history behind this. But it seems that they had somewhat different things in mind. 
Nicodemus, his vision of the kingdom of God was of a golden age when God's rule would be extended to the whole world, an age of peace and plenty where Jews would rule, or at least they wouldn't be ruled, they would rule Gentiles. Nicodemus saw all of history moving toward the moment when God, through the Messiah, would claim the earth as his own kingdom. When he talked about the coming of God's kingdom, that's what he was thinking about. Jesus didn't disagree with that view. In fact, he upholds it in a number of places. But he went beyond it. Jesus didn't think that the kingdom of God was waiting for some future launch date. It had existed forever and was already among us because Jesus was among us. God was not waiting for some far-off date to inaugurate the kingdom. He was already ruling here and everywhere else, and people can see and enter his rule and live under his protection today. But to do that, they need to be born again. And that brings us to our next question for the text. What on earth does Jesus mean by being born again? The answer to that question needs to be clearly grasped, and so it merits careful thought and study, some of which we're doing on Wednesday evening this week. So come out. But for now, let me say this. To be born again is to experience a radical change in the source from which your life flows. Imagine a creek that flows through the hilly country of northern Kentucky into a small lake. Now, without changing the creek bed at all, still occupies exactly the same place, the Corps of Engineers digs a channel from the Ohio River that connects to that creek. Still the same creek, but a new energy flows through it. And at first, it overflows its banks, but its banks eventually widen, and its bed deepens, and the water coursing through it gives it a new shape. That's the kind of thing that happens when a person is born again. He or she is still the same person, but a new life, in fact, a new kind of life, is now present in his or her innermost being. Now, at first, a person hardly knows what to do about that new life. It overflows them, but they deepen, they change, they become bigger, if you will and carve out a lifestyle better suited to the new life that's in them. Another way of putting that is, they are transformed in Christ-likeness. See, people need new life. A qualitatively different kind of life in order even to see the kingdom of heaven. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. To be able to envision what living in the presence and the power of God is like, we need to be born again. We need a new life that comes from outside ourselves and changes us. Now we have to ask then, what has to happen for a person to be born again and receive this foreign life into himself or herself? The answer to that crucial question comes a little later in the text, so we're going to come back to that in a couple of minutes. So the question for the text is, what does Jesus mean when he talks about being born again? The question for our lives is, have we been born again? 
Have we received that outside life into our innermost being? By the way, that outside life is God's life. In fact, it's the life that's manifested in Jesus. In him was life. Or 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. He is the eternal God. Or he is... Uh, I shouldn't have to look that up, but it just left me. This is 1 John 5.20. We know also that the Son of God has come and given us an understanding so that we know him who is true and we are in him who is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Eternal life is not some little package that God gives you because you've done all the right things or even because you believed in Jesus. What he gives you is his life, himself, his spirit. Have we been born again? And how would we know if we had? One way we know is that we have seen the kingdom of God, or at least we've seen it dimly. It's in our vision. We desire to live in it, under God's rule, under his protection. We long to know God, to be his true son or his true daughter. That happens to people who've experienced the new birth. When people show no interest in God, but say, as most Americans do, I've been born again, that just raises serious questions. To Nicodemus, all of this talk about being born again in order to see the kingdom didn't make any sense. And it frustrated him. So here's another question to bring to the text. Why didn't Nicodemus understand what Jesus was saying? And I think the answer must be that Nicodemus had no place to file Jesus' words. What Jesus was saying didn't fit into his file drawer, into what Nicodemus thought he knew and thought he knew beyond a doubt. See, Nick already knew, or he thought he knew, what a person, better yet a nation, had to do to see the kingdom of God. They had to keep the rules, live by the law, be zealous for the Torah. It had been that way ever since the second temple was built. This is what we have to do to see God's kingdom. Nicodemus and the people who had taught him and the people who had taught them were certain that the way into God's good graces was through a careful, zealous, persistent observance of religious law. He believed that if people would repent and obey the law, God would take notice and would respond by sending his Messiah to inaugurate the kingdom. You want to see the kingdom of God? Keep the law. God will send the Messiah. The kingdom will come. The idea that a different kind of life was needed in order to see the kingdom had never occurred to him. That's not what he'd been taught. He had the law of Moses. That's all he needed. Why even talk about a different kind of life? You've got the law. What Nick didn't realize was that he needed a different kind of life even to understand the law, much less to follow it where the law always has led to a wholehearted, whole-personed love of God and neighbor. That's where the law keeps leading. 
So the question for the text was, why couldn't Nicodemus understand what Jesus was saying? And the answer is, his view of God prevented it. His misconceptions about the kind of person God is and the kind of person he wants us to be led him into a misunderstanding and misguided commitments. See, he was committed to controlling his situation and managing his sin rather than trusting his Savior. Now, the question for us is this, and it's a hard one. Am I able to hear what Jesus is saying? Or are mistaken beliefs and misguided commitments getting in my way? That's something we will never know without help. God's help and others' help. When God or others or God through others, which is often the case, begins to show us mistaken beliefs and misguided commitments, it's the most natural thing in the world for us to become defensive. It's natural, but it's not helpful. We must trust God to reveal his truth to us. So, here's a question for you. Will you ask God to reveal the truth to you that you need to know about him in order to live joyfully in his kingdom? There may be some things he wants to show you that you don't have room for in your file drawer. Now, I want to return to the question I raised earlier. What has to happen for a person to be born again and receive this different kind of life, the eternal kind of life? The answer is, God has to do something. I mean, you can't born yourself again. God has to do something. When Nicodemus said, how can this be? Jesus' answer was, the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life the born-again kind of life. Jesus was talking about his own death when he said, must be lifted up on the cross as the act that God would use to make possible this different kind of life, the eternal kind of life that people need in order to see and enter the kingdom. What must we do in this? I mean, if God must act, is there something we must do? Yes, the answer is simple. Believe on God's only begotten Son. Trust Him. I hate the fact that when we talk about believing in Jesus, we get all religious, and it gets all hazy what that means. Trust Him. Entrust yourself to Him. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. When in verse 16, Jesus spoke of God giving his one and only son, it's undoubtedly the cross that he has in mind. It was preeminently there that the son was given to us. But understand it is preeminently in our daily lives that we give ourselves back to him. That is, that we believe in him. Now, God's Spirit makes that happen. It's God's Spirit that gives a person this new life, that brings about the new birth. And as Jesus pointed out, we can't make the Spirit act any more than we can make the wind blow. But we can raise our sails. We can't bring about our own new birth, but we can, by God's grace, believe in his one and only Son. So the question for the text is, what has to happen for people to be born again? 
And the answer is God had to give his son and we have to believe in him. The question for our lives is, have we believed in him? Not just things about him. Well, I believe he's the son of God. I, I, I believe he died for our sins. Not just things about him. Not just certain things that he did. But believe in him. Trust him. And trust ourselves to him. The series we're in is called Bold Faith Transforming Truth. What's the transforming truth in this passage? I think there are many, but here's one of them. This new birth made possible by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and made personal through our confidence in Jesus is not primarily about getting into heaven when you die, but experiencing God's kingdom while you live. People like you and me can live in deep contentment with real joy and increasing confidence in God's loving rule and care. We can live that way. And it's a different way than our neighbors are living. We can live more and more as Jesus himself lived with love and joy and an unbreakable connection to God. Once we begin to realize that Jesus really knew what he was talking about, That's an interesting idea, too. I mean, I honestly think most Christians have never even thought about that. Did Jesus really know what he was talking about? Once we begin to see that, he has the inside information. He knows what he's talking about. The way opens for us to really trust him and live in his kingdom. We must get it through our heads that Jesus wasn't a religious teacher in the sense that he only talked about religious things about biblical interpretation or about ritual observance. He talked about real life, about our real lives and what was possible for people like you and me. See, he knew how it worked. Now, a lot of us have already realized that. And we know Jesus both as the one who saves us from our sins and the one who shows us how to live a rich, contented, joyful life. But maybe you're not quite sure about that yet. You've seen the things that Jesus did. You've been impressed by them. But like Nicodemus, you're having a hard time trusting yourself to him. Well, if you're in that place, my encouragement to you is don't give up. This is the first time we meet Nicodemus. It's not the last. We find him two other times. As I mentioned before, chapter 7 and then in chapter 20. The next time we find him, he's standing up for Jesus in front of his peers. And some of them are very hostile peers. But I don't think that even then he had trusted himself to Jesus. But he was trying to find out for himself if Jesus was right. Then we see him again after the crucifixion. By that time, three years have passed. And sometime during those years, Nicodemus has taken the step. He has made the choice to trust Jesus. And now he takes his stand with him. You might not know what to think of Jesus, just like Nicodemus didn't. Or you may be confused. And this is what I find. People, they love Jesus. Yeah, Jesus is cool. But they don't know what he has to do with the church or what he has to do with Christianity. If you're not sure about those things, do what Nicodemus did. Seek the truth. Find out for yourself. 
in that John chapter 7 passage, someone challenged Nicodemus and said, find out for yourself. No prophet comes out of Galilee. You know what I think Nicodemus did? He found out for himself. Ask questions. Because those who ask, receive. Those who seek, find. To those who knock, the door will be opened. Don't give up. Let's pray. God, we don't want to give up. Not just on... We don't want to say, okay, we're going to heaven now. We believe in Jesus. We don't want to give up on your kingdom and living in it the full life that you intend for us. And not just for us, but for the world. We don't want to go about our little daily lives collecting our incomes and trying to make ourselves comfortable and miss the kingdom. Lord, we need to see it. May your spirit be the spirit of wisdom and revelation for us. And help us not just see, but to enter and live richly and fully under your rule and care. And I ask this for the sake of the one who died to make it possible. Jesus. Amen. We're going to...